Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick, and today I wanted to start off by doing one of my favorite things to uh, to kick off a, a Stuff to Blow Your Mind episode, which is go back more than a hundred years and read an article about what kinds of animals there are. <laughs> and I think this one's especially a hoot because it concerns the animals of Iceland. So this was published in a periodical called The Scottish Review, I believe in the year 1900, by an author named Olaf Davidson. And it's an article called The Folklore of Icelandic Fishes, in which Davidson catalogs examples of both totally mundane animals, like, you know, talking about different kinds of whales and and fish and sharks and things, but then also bizarre stories of the boreal realms about, you know, uh, uh, weird, deadly creatures of the waters. And uh, there are just some great stories in here, some of which he seems to source uh, at least partially from Icelandic newspapers and other ones, I guess he's drawing more on uh, just general folklore. Um, so the first one I wanted to mention is is great. He he talks about something called the coil eel or hrock all, which is something like a cross between a fish and a wire saw. So just let me read from Davidson here. The coil eel or hrock all is about two feet in length and lives chiefly in ditches or stagnant pools, but is sometimes found in running waters. If any animal or human being puts foot into the water where it is, the eel coils itself round their leg and cuts into the bone, or even takes it right off. Oh, this wow. frequently, yeah, <laughs> yeah, wire saw, right? Mm-hmm. This frequently happens with horses, but sheep escape because their legs are too slender for the eel to work upon. How the cutting is done is a point on which opinions differ. Some say that the venom in the eel is so strong that it corrodes the flesh and bone. Others say that the eel has fins as sharp as the teeth of a saw and does the work with these. It is also said to have thin scales as hard as iron and its flesh is poisonous. Wow, this is incredible. It's like the the swimming guillotine. Oh, very good comparison. You need to get like a uh, an Icelandic wizard who's got one of these on a leash that he can throw. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, these these are this is a great horror gimmick right here. 
Yeah, and and uh, it's even got an origin story. The Hrok All was allegedly created, uh, according to the tales, when a wizard once breathed life into a dead, half-rotten eel, thus creating this poisonous animal. Oh, my goodness. The, this needs to go into the monster manual right here. Yeah. It also strikes me as like a, a good way to convince your children not to step in puddles. Yes, yes. The Hrok All may lurk in the puddles. Yeah. Do you ever, by the way, go through, I, I know some kids do this. Some kids have a real like puddle splashing, stomping phase. Uh, I don't know if you ever dealt with that, but I've definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Parents. Definitely went through yeah. a puddle splashing uh, phase for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't deny it's fun. Uh, but okay, so Davidson goes on to another one. Uh, there, there's one called the Ofug Ugi, which is a fish that has backwards facing fins and which swims in reverse tail first. And then there's another one that he calls the sea mouse. But I think what he's referring to is now called the rabbit fish or the rat fish. Scientific name Chimera monstrosa. <laughs> uh, this is a this is a cartilaginous fish of the North Atlantic and Mediterranean that can grow to about 1.5 meters in length. And so the legend that uh, Davidson recounts about this animal, again, this is probably now the rabbit fish, but what he's calling the sea mouse, uh, is that it swims so ferociously that the sea foams ahead of its path and that it can open its jaws wide enough to swallow an entire boat, which is not true. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I did want to read his anecdote about this. Quote, on one occasion, two men were out at sea on the east coast in an open boat while near them was a French fishing vessel. Uh, they had been fishing quietly for some time when they heard a tremendous noise out to sea and at once suspected that it was caused by a sea mouse. In a short time, they saw it coming in the midst of a white foaming wave and making straight for their boat. The men were so scared that they could do nothing to save themselves. The Frenchmen saw their danger and ran their schooner right in the way of the monster, which, however, still kept the same course and speed and struck the vessel with such force as to cant it over to one side. The sea mouse continued to press against the ship for a little while, and during that time the men were taken on board. Then it disappeared, and the men afterwards rowed to land. So, okay, saying this fish could, like, actually knock a ship over, uh, definitely not true about that species. If there is any truth to this story at all, it's, it's obviously not about a rabbit fish. Um, but also, to confuse things even further, there actually is a marine animal now commonly known as a sea mouse, but it is not a fish at all, but a marine polychaete worm, usually about three to six inches in length, which uh, this will be relevant to what we're talking about today, is often covered in something that looks kind of like a sparkly fur. Hmm. Now, uh, and, and this is a, an interesting organism to be to be sure, but I also looked up a picture of the rabbit fish, and it is interesting that its head does have kind of the appearance of a rabbit's head it had i can definitely see the comparison there something about the way the the eyes are are structured uh it, it has has this kind of rabbit looking skull um but uh, but then again i'm also reading that they can grow to to five feet in length so i guess if one of these creatures was to slam into the side of your boat it could at least startle you uh it could at least be a a, a moment uh that could then be exaggerated into greater threat and tails. Yeah, I guess that's reasonable. I mean, I'm, I'm picturing boats of a size in this story where that wouldn't really make sense because it's talking about like a schooner, right? The, the, I don't know, how big is a schooner? Can a schooner be small enough to be severely disturbed by a, by a 1.5 meter fish? Oh, I mean, if, if your imagination is there, it can certainly, certainly be alarming, I imagine. Uh, to f confuse things about that story even further, uh, this so-called rabbit fish, Chimera monstrosa, that is one type of fish called rabbit fish. But then there's also a totally different type of fish also called a rabbit fish that is <laughs> not related. So lots to throw you off right there. But anyway, I, I wanted to get to the final uh, citation I want to make from, from Olaf Davidson's article here uh, because it concerns the topic that we're going to be getting into over the next couple of episodes. So here he goes on my favorite part. On the shores of lakes in the north of Iceland, there have sometimes been found strange and ugly fishes resembling trout, which neither dogs nor birds of prey would eat. These were doubtless specimens of the shaggy trout, or lodsilungur, also a very poisonous fish. 
One of these was cast on shore at Savina Vatten in 1854, and an illustration of it is given in the newspaper Nordry for 1855. It was very unlike an ordinary trout, both in shape and in color. On its lower jaw and its neck, it had reddish hair, forming a kind of beard. There were also hairy patches on its sides and hair on its fins, so there can be no doubt it was a shaggy trout, though the writer of the article in Nordry does not say so. Mm, now I'm suspecting that wizard again. Yeah, I mean, one, I'm wondering... Iceland is not super densely populated, right? So, you know, you have a few larger cities and then the little settlements, especially around the coasts all around. Uh, but then uh, big parts of the inner country are, you know, m mostly uninhabited. So I wonder, is that wizard territory? Is that where the wizards are out there making fish with beards? Yeah, I mean, there aren't enough people around to really mess with. So, yeah, they're doing terrible things to fish. But this is uh, by no means the only account of the shaggy trout or the furry trout of Iceland. Uh, I found more about this, this local lore in an article in the Paris Review by David Buckspan from May 16th, 2013, which is actually about something totally different. It's not an article about Icelandic uh, legends. It is about a speaking event with an Icelandic novelist who goes by the name Sean, spelled S-J-O-N, but pronounced Sean. And uh, you might know him as a collaborator with Bjork. He apparently wrote lyrics for some of her songs, and I think they've performed in bands together at least at some point. Um, but then at, at a certain part in the uh, evening at the speaking thing, Sean turns to explaining his personal obsession with this shaggy trout legend of Iceland. And he definitely expands on what we've just established. So he does say, yeah, there's an animal allegedly uh, known as the furry trout. Uh, it looks the same as a normal trout, except it's covered in fur, which is a little okay. different than what Davidson said. Davidson said it looked very different from a regular trout. But Sean goes on to say that according to the legend, you might be fishing for a school of regular trout with a net, and then suddenly one of them there in your net is completely covered in fur. And it's just right there with the other ones. Uh, but here's the really interesting variation. Uh, Olaf Davidson says that the common belief is that the shaggy trout is poisonous, so you shouldn't eat it because it could hurt you, maybe make you sick or kill you. But Sean says that the legend he learned when he was nine years old was that if a man ate the furry trout, he would become pregnant and he would end up having to give birth through his scrotum. Hmm. Okay. Well, I have some doubts and some questions about that, that last claim. Yes. Uh, and he actually even describes like the the birthing procedure, which involves like the the scrotum swelling with the child, and like you have to get a knife and lay him on a table and all that. It you can go read the article if you want. Okay. Uh, but then, is it a normal human child, or is it like a fish person? Oh, I think it's just a human child. After that, where okay. I don't know, he doesn't really go into w what the implications for the child is. Okay. Are. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. 
With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Uh, but anyway, the more I got interested in these stories, the more I discovered that there are, in fact, stories from all over the world about various types of furry fish. And so uh, that's what I wanted to look into for the next couple of episodes here, because I, I think you, you may well agree that fish generally do not have fur. Uh, so we wanted to talk about like what these stories are and where they come from and what might explain them. Yeah, and, and these are going to cover a fair amount of ground. We're going to get into some legends and mythology. We're going to talk about some 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 definite uh, denizens of the of the the actual oceans and, and lakes and rivers of our world, uh, and then also some possible like misinterpretations of natural creatures. So there's there's a lot on the table here with the furry fish, and uh, I think yeah, I I, I think everybody's going to be pleasantly surprised. Now, the shaggy trout of Iceland is actually one of several reports of furry fish uh, that are collected in a book that I was looking at called uh, The Beasts That Hide From Man, Seeking the World's Last Undiscovered Animals by an author named Carl Schuker. I think this was originally published in 2003. I might have been looking at uh, an edition from 2014. But uh, Schuker is a British cryptozoologist, and as you may well know, cryptozoologist can mean uh, extremely different things, yes. right? So it could be a clear, skeptical, responsible researcher who tries to investigate reports of animals that are not well-documented or not documented at all by, by regular scientific methods and find out if these reports can, in fact, be confirmed. And there are cases like this. There are cases, of, for example, of animals thought to be long extinct but then uh, turning up extant in the world today. For example, uh, the coelacanth, the type of lobe-finned fish that was thought to be long extinct but then live specimens were found. 
But on the other hand, of course, we know that uh, if you know if you're a fan of like certain types of TV documentaries mm-hmm. or uh, whatever, uh, it, it, a, a cryptozoologist could also be a self-applied uh, label for somebody who says that they have a Bigfoot corpse in their freezer, but you're not allowed to look at it. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a, a broad spectrum in the cryptozoology world. Right. And so uh, I think from at least what I was looking at in this book, I, I think Shuker seems to be closer to the former, somebody who's, you know, trying to responsibly apply, uh, you know, reasonable skeptical methods of investigation to reports of perhaps not well-documented animals. Mm-hmm. There may be something I missed, but at least in the parts of the book I was looking at, he, he does not seem to treat reports of strange animals with automatic credulity and, and certainly not uh, talk like the Bigfoot freezer guy. <laughs> But anyway, a useful thing about this book is whatever the actual explanations for these reports, it is useful in itself just to collect the reports, right? Uh, To say, okay, what are people saying about, for example, furry fish, whether or not there actually is such a thing or something that we can identify that could have been mistaken for such a thing? Uh, At least, you know, what are people saying? And so that's what he does in this chapter. He's got at least five different examples. And so the next thing I wanted to talk about was another one that I I came across because I found in this chapter. And this is Marco Polo's hairy fish. So this story is originally told in The Travels of Marco Polo, which is the English title of a 13th century Italian travelogue written by a guy named uh, Rusticello or perhaps Rusticiano of Pisa, based on the accounts of Marco Polo, the Venetian merchant, diplomat, and explorer uh, of, of great renown. I'm sure you know who Marco Polo is. Yes, if, if even if you are not super familiar with him, you know the pool name <laughs> of Marco Polo, which, by the way, the last uh, pool I was at, uh, or one of the, the most recent pools I was at, uh, they had a sign that said, no Marco Polo. Marco Polo was explicitly banned from the pool. Why? What? Is it dangerous? I got the impression that it was just maybe annoying because there were like, oh. you know, people were living near the pool Tired and therefore it, they yeah. didn't want to hear children say Marco Polo over and over again. But occasionally a child would get in the pool, start saying Marco Polo, and the more um, uh, rule-oriented children would would remind them that it was not allowed. Oh, wow. And then so, some would try and do it, do Marco Polo with different words, and and <laughs> and other kids or sometimes adults would be like, no, no, you can't, you can't just do that. It's still Marco Polo. No, instead of Marco Polo, you do Rusty Cello or Rusty Chano. You know, Rusty Cello. Yeah, wouldn't work. Not not allowed. Not allowed. I forget what kind of variations they were trying. Um, very obvious ones, like you know. Um, pool cleaner fish or something, you know, uh, mm. just based on the first two things they saw. Well, anyway, so uh, I found out about this story of a furry fish because of this uh, passage from Shuker's book, but then I actually went and looked up the original text to put the claim in its full context. So this passage from Marco Polo's account, uh, which is the version translated to English by Ronald Latham for, for Penguin, is describing a marvelous city that Marco Polo calls Kinsai, but which I believe corresponds to the modern-day city of Hangzhou. And so at the time he entered the city, Marco Polo was operating under the aegis of Kublai Khan. Uh, That's a bit – if you don't know much about Marco Polo's journeys, he had a relationship with the court of the Khans, I think uh, at least going back through his father – uh, but he was favored by by the court of Kublai Khan, and so he was not only a merchant and a trader and explorer, but he also operated as a diplomat on behalf of Kublai Khan. And at the time of his visit to this city that is now known as Hangzhou, uh, the Khans had conquered it. So there are a couple of names to define ahead of time so this paragraph makes sense. Uh, he mentions a figure named King Fakfur who was the original ruler of Kinsai before it was conquered. And then he also mentions Bayan, who was a Mongol general who commanded the armies of Kublai Khan during the conquest of Song Dynasty China. So the account goes, Let me tell you now of a marvel that occurred when Bayan was besieging this city. It happened after King Fakfur had taken to flight that a multitude of the townsfolk were fleeing by boat by way of a broad, deep river that flows past one side of the city. All of a sudden, while they were actually on the river, the water completely dried up so that Bayan, on learning the news, came to this part and compelled all the fugitives to return to the city. 
and a fish was found lying high and dry across the riverbed. And what a fish, for it was fully one hundred paces long, but its girth was by no means proportionate to its length. Its whole body was hairy. Many people ate of it, and many of those who did so died. Messer Marco, as he relates, saw the head of this fish with his own eyes in a certain temple of the idols. Now, we should put some caveats in, right? Because uh, there, there are several reasons the story is already coming to us in a kind of hazy fashion, right? We're getting it through several layers. This is an account written by Mr. Uh, Rusticello or Rusticiano of Pisa, uh, based allegedly on the accounts of Marco Polo, who claims that he saw the head of this fish with his own eyes, but it sounds like he must have at best heard secondhand the accounts of the story about the river drying up, revealing the giant hairy fish a hundred paces long, and then the people eating it and dying from it. Right, because the, the story is saying, oh, the head is, is preserved in this particular temple, and then this is the backstory on that head. Right. Now, while I think they're good jumping off points to, to start thinking about possibilities, I, I don't think we can be too sure that either of these accounts, either the Icelandic furry fish or Marco Polo's hairy fish in, in, in Hangzhou, uh, that they are necessarily based on anything real that anybody actually saw. These could be, you know, fanciful, imaginative stories people made up, or they could be based on something. But I do think it's interesting that in either case, that both of these hairy fish so far are regarded as poisonous and harmful to eat. Yeah, this is very interesting. And I was particularly fascinated by this Chinese um, account or this Chinese episode. It was like a, technically a Venetian account. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, I decided to read a little bit more about it. So I was looking at A.C. Mool's Marco Polo's descriptions of Quinsai. And uh, the author here basically looks at this, everything that Marco Polo has to say about the city and is analyzing it and comparing it to other accounts and uh, Chinese historical accounts. And the author says that they could find no mention of this, this fish in Chinese sources detailing the siege in question. However, he says that roughly 40 years before Polo's visit, strange aquatic creatures had been reported in the river. This would have been the summer of 1239. Quote, hmm. Chao Yukon reported that recently, while he was watching the violence of the boar. Now, just a, a quick uh, description of what the boar is, and this will make sense if you think back to the passage that, that, uh, that Joe just read. Uh, this is a boar current, a rare natural phenomenon in which the leading edge of an incoming tide forms a wave or waves of water that travels up a body of water and reverses the direction of the current. Uh, anyway, the, the author continues, um, uh, while he was watching the violence of the boar, he had suddenly seen strange creatures, which were neither dragons nor fishes, in shoals, ruffling up their bristles and raising their spines. And he wished to report and announce to the emperor that he proposed to use powerful crossbows and guns. And there's a question mark uh, after guns, so I'm not sure if the particular terminology is in question there mm. or whatnot, um, to remove this ill-omened portent. Whoa. So this, along with the other accounts, and, quote, the sight of some monstrous skull or tooth, which may well have been shown in some temple. Um, and uh, they also point out that a large tooth was actually shown as Buddha's tooth at the time. All of this may may have then been cobbled uh, together and, and you know, reformed into the account we just looked at. Okay, so it's possible that the account we're getting, I guess, third-hand at this point through Marco Polo's uh, uh, biographer here is some sort of half-remembered synthesis or reassemblage of these other pieces that we're seeing in Chinese sources. Right. Now, this is conjecture on my part, but uh, I'm reading that the uh, the Singtang River here was known to at least sometimes have Yangtze River dolphins in it. Um, now, their namesake river, the, the Yangtze, is uh, several hundred miles north, but at least prior to the 1950s, there were sightings of dolphins in this river. So I can't help but wonder if this might have been a case of a half-rotted river dolphin washing up. Mm. Uh, because tissue and fibers on rotting fish, dolphins, and whales can sometimes take on shocking forms uh, that maybe then can be connected to various myths and legends or uh, theories about cryptids. Oh, yeah. I mean, th we actually did a couple of episodes it was a few years back at this point about globsters the which is the the nickname for these 
objects, you know, these sort of masses of biomaterial that will often wash up on beaches and be proclaimed monsters. You know, they, they get their own article in the Daily Mail and it's, mm-hmm. uh, oh, here's a, a dragon from the sea. And most of the time they're whales. I mean, not every time, but most of the time they're some type of whale in some stage of decomposition, which can truly take on bizarre appearances. Yeah, for example, consider the Sacklin Island woolly whale, which uh, was washed up on Sacklin Island in Russia back in 2015. You can find pictures on this. The spelling is S-A-K-H-A-L-I-N. It looks weird and it does look furry. uh, But one of the chief uh, theories here is that this is just a dolphin carcass, that this is a dolphin carcass that is uh, decayed. It's a dolphin globster. Uh, so, I, again, this is conjecture on my part, but it makes me wonder if that might have been what we were looking at. It would also explain why eating the flesh of this creature might not be a great um, choice for your digestion or your overall health. Right. So if this were the origin of the story from uh, Kinsai or, or Hangzhou now, um, it would be that some, in some way the water washed back and revealed the carcass of a large, perhaps a Yangtze River dolphin or some other type of aquatic mammal that was dead, sitting there on the bank in some stage of decomposition. It's the fibers of its body kind of looked like hair in a weird way that mm-hmm. you know we've we've seen with other globsters before. Somebody decided to eat it, and obviously it made them sick because this is rotten meat. Mm-hmm. And then somehow that got estranged and, and gave rise to this legend. Yeah, or you can also imagine how it could have just been a situation where the thing was clearly foul. And someone uh, wisely said, I don't think anyone should eat this. And eventually that becomes, I heard somebody ate it and they died. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Well, then I heard, that, I heard that several people ate it and they died. So I don't know. There, you can easily imagine various ways that the, the story could form based on just this one weird encounter with a, a strange globster body in the water. Yeah, so we don't know, but I do think that's a reasonable possibility to imagine as an inspiration for these types of stories. And in fact, uh, in his book, Shuker sort of goes to the same place. He says, yeah, it's possible that this is a this is a half-remembered story about a decomposing uh, animal body of some kind. And of course, the decomposing flesh would have made people sick if they tried to eat it. And again, the other half uh, being that, yes, often decomposing flesh really does look hairy in a certain way. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage with over 122 million parts you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it brake kits turbochargers engines exhaust kits roof racks led headlights bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. 
Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Now, there's another interesting possibility about explanations that I wanted to come back to, uh, which has to do with parasitic infections in fish. Uh, so think back to that first example I mentioned of a, the furry fish claim, the, the one from Olaf Davidson's reports of the shaggy trout of Iceland. Just to refresh here on what Davidson says about the one example that is reported in the uh, the newspaper Nordry in 1855, which he says must be an example of a shaggy trout. He says that it's uh, that its lower jaw and its neck had reddish hair forming a kind of beard, and there were also hairy patches on its side and hair on its fins, so there can be no doubt it was a shaggy trout. Uh, but then he also says it was unlike an ordinary trout in both shape and in color, but uh, he doesn't explain much more about what he means uh, by that, so I'm not quite sure. I don't know if that means unlike in terms of just like these patches on it or if it's also just like a differently shaped fish, in, in which case it probably originally wasn't a trout, and I'm not sure what it was. But anyway, when raising this story in his book, uh, Carl Schuker mentions one possible explanation, which is, what if these stories are based on observations not of furry trout, but of trout that are suffering from some kind of infection, such as a fungus that covers their body with patches of mycelia? So there could be a number of types of uh, parasites and infections that could lead to this m misimpression. Uh, but one type of infection that I've seen uh, uh, singled out as a possible inspiration for furry trout legends is an oomycyte called saprolegnia or uh, saprolegnia. So oomycytes are uh, sometimes known as water molds. They are a class of eukaryotic microorganisms that used to be considered fungi, I believe, uh, due to their morphological similarities to fungus. But I think now they're understood to be a, uh, a more separate branch of the tree of life. But there are uh, a number of different types of oomycytes that can form parasitic relationships with fish and shellfish, causing disease and eventually death in the hosts. And there's this genus called uh, Saprolegnia in particular, which has been singled out as a possible source of these myths, since when an adult fish is infected, it can display lesions or discolored patches on its skin, which in some cases do look kind of furry or even sometimes like cotton. 
And Rob, I've just got a, a couple of pictures for you to look at. One is of a man holding up a salmon caught from a river uh, that does have these mold-like patches appearing along its uh, its dorsal side. Yeah, it, it does look like there's something wrong with this fish, like something bad happened to a fish. And uh, uh, the other picture you shared, though, does have more of a, a hair-like quality to it. It looks like there's some kind of uh, whispery white sideburns and some whispery white uh, hair on the top of the fish's head. Yeah, and th- there are other types of infections. One problem is if you're just like doing an image search for this, you can't always be sure what type of infection you're looking at because uh, there's another thing that I think is a more a bacterial infection called cotton wool disease in fish uh, that also kind of looks like cotton sprouting out on, on these fish, but that's a, a different organism causing it. But anyway, uh, just to learn more about saprolegnia, I was looking at a book by Kurt Lemoore and Sofiane Kamoun, who are researchers at the University of Tennessee, uh, both of them, I believe, called um, Oomocyte Genetics and Genomics, Diversity, Interactions, and Research Tools. And this is an academic book about uh, these types of uh, parasites and microorganisms. And there's a part in this about uh, saprolegnia in particular. So this species is uh, Saprolegnia parasitica, which the authors claim is a devastating pathogen on freshwater fish species, which has contributed to significant damage in global fish farming. And in the past, this and some other fish-related uh, related fish pathogens were controlled by an antimicrobial that originally, I think, it was actually a dye. The dye is called malachite green, but it was found to have these uh, alleged antimicrobial properties Uh, But then this use was scaled back after concerns arose about possible carcinogenic effects on the fish and on consumers of the fish that were treated with this dye. So as of the time this book was written or published in 2009, uh, this was still a problem with uh, freshwater fisheries, I think especially with with fish farming. Uh, But in the case of fur that forms on the skin of the infected fish, this would actually not be hair, but it would be mycelia or the the part of the microbial colony that begins as these little hyphae, uh, often seen in fungus, that, that forms these hair-like branches, which can spread out in, in these patches on the skin. I think they often begin originally at like a, like a wound or maybe some kind of opening in the skin. I think they can attack the gills or they can attack a wound, but then w- once they... Uh, have established a colony within the skin. They can kind of spread out from there, and it's bad for the fish. Obviously, they will they will from the outer layer, from the skin uh, and the and the scales, begin to invade down further into the muscle tissue, which can eventually kill the fish over time. But on the other hand, I think we wouldn't want to be too bullish about uh, attributing all of these stories of furry fish to observations of infections of this kind. Uh, for one reason, because the, while these infections can form patches on fish that look strange, and sometimes these patches in certain types of parasites can look kind of hairy or cottony or woolly, they don't form coats of fur that surround the full fish, as described in some of these legends. Yeah, the, the, we'd be talking something that would be loosely describable as patches of fur, patches of weird hair on a fish, which is, yeah, it's different than a shaggy fish. Right. And so I think this explanation can actually go too far and become a misconception of its own. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, for example, I was looking at modern allegations of furry fish, which do still exist. I I think I was reading one story about a, uh, some people who were claiming that a bunch of furry fish were created in a river when there had been an accident and a bunch of hair tonic was spilled into the river. Uh, So (laughs) yuck, yuck. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, this one example is uh, something I found documented on Snopes in an article by Dan Evan from May of 2015. And this actually was not surprisingly from a chain email, but a photo and report that was posted to a Wisconsin local news website. And so it's got a photo of a guy dressed up, you know, like he's out fishing in the cold and he is holding a fish that is completely covered in white fur. It looks like a it's got a fish head, but then the rest of it is just like a polar bear's arm. Yeah, and well, you know, I don't know what exactly is going on here, but um, it's an image that makes me suspicious. This looks like a this fish should be mounted on a wall, and when there's movement in the room, it should move and sing. Um, <laughs> I don't know, there's yeah. something. It just 
it, it, it has a look of fakery to me, which is not to say it's not legitimate, but it, it has the look of fakery for sure. It, it's the Christmas edition of the Billy Bass. It sings yeah. Christmas carols. Yeah. Or no, what is it? What would it be if it was the Billy Bass? It wouldn't be like classic carols. It would be Santa Claus is coming to town. What did Billy, did Billy Bass sing Christmas songs? No, Christmas? no, no. I'm saying if there were a Christmas oh. version of the Big Mouth Billy Bass. What did the Big Mouth Billy Bass actually sing? This is, a, again, a, a robotic fake trout that you would buy off the TV. Yeah, these things were great. Uh, a truly remarkable achievement of culture. Um, they sang Take Me to the River, that song. Okay. They sang, I think one sang YMCA. Okay. And that's all I remember. There may have been others. Okay. Did you have one or are you just remembering the, t- the TV? I ad? never had one, no. Okay. Well, call out to listeners. Do you have one on the wall of your house right now? Uh, inside or out? Doesn't matter. It, Tell us what it's singing. Does it still work or is it is it dying now? Or is electronics oh. sing this warped, sad, slowed down version of the song? Oh, man. That would, that would be great. Okay. I'm quitting the show. My career from now on is I'm going to be a DJ I'm going to make beats entirely out of samples from dying Big Mouth Billy Basses. <laughs> Take me to the river. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Okay, back to so back to the this image of what looks like a, a Christmas themed uh, uh, Billy Bass. So the allegation accompanying this photograph originally, this is documented in that Snopes article, uh, goes like this. says, wanted to share a rather remarkable catch I had this afternoon. I was fishing in the uh, Menominee River while some trout were packed into a bottleneck. I caught a few and nothing was out of the ordinary until I reeled this one in. I've never seen anything like it. I contacted a local wildlife official and they referred to it as a rare fur-bearing trout. They went on to explain that this was an extreme case of saprolegnia or cotton mold. Apparently, Old Great Lakes legends spoke of these as a uniquely evolved trout species that existed only in the deepest, coldest parts of the lake and needed the fur to stay warm. I doubt it will make my Cabela's non-traditional mount wall, but I'm still excited to reel in a genuine Wisconsin legend. You have my permission to share and use this photo in any form if you'd like. Uh, and then uh, the person gives their credits. I don't want to say this in case this is not actually the person who did the hoax. Uh, so, so okay. So you can look that up if you want to know who, who to track it down to. But um, uh, but you, you got one on us. Okay. Th- this is definitely not actually a furry trout. And it's also definitely not actually a case of saprolegnia because the fur, the fur just does not grow like that. Having looked at a lot of images now, I can tell by looking at it uh, that this, this is a deliberate hoax. Now, I guess it could be a situation where we don't know who the, the, the perpetrator of the hoax might be. This right. could be someone could have made such a fish. A, you know, manufactured such a specimen and thrown it into the water, and then it's, uh, you know, acquired by someone else. Always a possibility, just seeding the world with with beauty. <laughs> I don't know if this is this is that would be beauty. I mean, I, I'm all right. for catch and release, but not like this. Not like this. Yes, yeah, not like this. I I agree. Uh, but so yeah, so I, I think this is actually going a little too far with the possible explanation for the origins of these legends based in in these parasitic infections, because. It's it's trying to reconcile two things that are just very different. One is that people, when they hear a story about a furry trout, are imagining a trout covered in fur like a mammal. And then on the other mm-hmm. hand, you've got this possible explanation that is real science, but it is something that it can explain weird-looking blotches and patches on a fish that can, in some cases, have kind of like furry uh, hyphae or mycelia growing out of them. Huh. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see how that would work. Uh, well, well, they're just not the same. So you would have to imagine there's a process in between of like a sort of exaggerating or extrapolating an original observation into something totally different. I like the tidbit, too, of the legend being that this is how the fish of the deep stay warm, which I think is also kind of kind of telling in all of this, because uh, obviously fish uh, do not need fur coats to uh, to operate in cold waters. Uh, right. We have too many examples of, of fish that do just fine and they have no fur. But as mammals, you know, we, we know that, that uh, the, the other mammals in our world to survive in winter, they frequently do require fur coats. And then mm-hmm. we require fur coats made of them in order for us to survive. <laughs> and so, you know, we get into sort of an abstract, uh, you know, comparison of, of rather different physiologies here. Oh, yeah. And it also ignores several things like would fur actually 
keep you warm if it was wet? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I don't think it would. In fact, uh, marine mammals that need to keep their bodies warm in very, very cold water, are they covered in fur? No, they actually lost their fur. These are evolved right. from creatures that used to have fur, and they adapted to deep, deep water and extreme cold temperatures in part by losing their fur and having other adaptations in their body to help uh, maintain their internal temperature. But could they require fur coats if they leave the water to go about their business on the land? Ah, there you go, maybe. Perhaps uh, a wizard sells them such a coat. Okay. You're bringing it back around. This is a tricky fish wizard. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe we need to call part one there, but we will be back with so much more furry fish next time. Yeah, yeah. We're going to go to some some really interesting places. We'll even ask the question, is an otter a fish? The answer may surprise you. <laughs> In the meantime, if you would like to check out other episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, we have core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. You'll find artifact episodes on Wednesday, a little listener mail on Monday. On the weekends, we have a vault episode that's a rerun. And on Friday, we do a little Weird House Cinema. That's just our way of closing out the week by setting most of the science aside and just looking at a weird film. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback, on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello you can email us at contact at stuff to blow your mind.com stuff to blow your mind is a production of iHeartRadio. for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.